Let's pray. Father, we ask once more that you would meet us here as we gather together to study your word, to look into the gospel of Mark. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things. And Father, that we would be changed as a result of your Spirit's work through your word, changed to live more faithfully underneath the shepherding care of Christ and also to mimic his shepherding care in the world you've placed us in. Lord, we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, I ask you, invite you to take your Bible, if you have one, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. This morning we are continuing, continuing our study of Mark's Gospel, and we'll be in chapter 6, looking again at verses 30 to 44. Last week we began to see that this is a section in Mark's Gospel that's really about the care and the provision of the Lord Jesus, who is, of course, the great shepherd. And we saw in verses 30 to 32 that Jesus cared intimately for his own little flock of twelve. Remember, he had sent them out in verses 7 to 13 of chapter 6 to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he had told them that they were being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And they'd been gone for several weeks at least, maybe months. And in verse 30, they finally come back and they meet up with Jesus. And we can imagine that they are certainly bearing the marks of sheep who have been intermingling with wolves. And as these twelve sheep began to report to their shepherd all that they had seen and done, Jesus looked on them with compassion and called them away, remember, to spend some time with him alone. But as their little boat, loaded down with 13 people, made its way across the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, the crowds on the shore realized what was happening. And so in desperation, they ran ahead of the boat and beat Jesus and his disciples to their place of isolation. And uh, Jesus, remember, was perfectly fine with that. The disciples, probably not so much, but Jesus was okay with that. He wasn't frustrated that people had gotten in the way of his plans because he looked at these people in a certain way. They weren't problems with two legs or four. They were sheep. They were sheep without a shepherd. That's how the Lord looked at them. He pitied them and He recognized that they were simply misguided. They were doing the best they could without an able shepherd to lead them. And so He was moved with compassion and his compassion then, remember, led him not to, um, you know, to formulate some sort of mercy ministry, but primarily his compassion led him to teach these people the truth of the Word of God. That was his mercy ministry, to give them the truth. And so we saw that he began to teach them many things. Luke tells us that he was teaching them the gospel of the kingdom. 
And so then we saw that not only did Jesus care for his intimate little band of apostles, but his care extended even to the neglected sheep of Israel and beyond. And really, we made application that it extends, the care of the Lord Jesus extends to anyone who comes to him in humble faith. And now we come this morning to verses 35 to 44, where we're going to see that the compassion of Jesus is coupled with inexhaustible power. The compassion of Jesus is coupled with inexhaustible power, which means that his compassion is never limited by inability, like ours is. Not so with the Lord. His compassion is boundless. And He has the power to accomplish His goodwill in any circumstance. So not only does he, His compassion extend to all the sheep, but He has the power to provide and care for each one of them. And that's what we're going to see in the verses we're going to examine this morning. Why don't you stand with me, and we'll get back, step back to verse 30, and make our way through verse 44. So Mark 6, verse 30, looking at the great shepherd. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. And it is already quite late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve Twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. You may be seated. Amazing, amazing story. And we'll pick up in verse 35. Mark tells us when it was already quite late, probably late afternoon, past lunchtime, the time when people get grumpy and tired. It was already quite late. No one had had lunch yet. And his disciples came to him and said, 
This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So, of course, seems like a very reasonable suggestion. They're out in what the disciples call the desolate place, the countryside. And there are thousands of people around, and none of them have had lunch yet. It's probably around 3 o'clock. And if nothing is done, the disciples realize that they're going to have a hungry, angry mob in front of them. Some of you moms and dads feel like that. With, you, know, you load your minivan up with your kids after church, you've got a hungry, angry mob. You, know, you could tighten them down in their seats and they can't do anything to you. This is thousands of people that are right in front of Jesus and the disciples. And you know, before, Jesus was the one doing all the wonder working. Now the disciples have a capacity entrusted to them. And so the disciples realize, you know, they're, they're able to do some amazing things because of Christ. But that also makes them a target for the crowds to press in and crush them as well. So they propose to Jesus what seems like a sensible proposal, proposal responsible, at least on the surface, to send the people away. But notice that it's actually not a proposal at all. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. Look at back at verse 35. They size up the situation and they give Jesus a command. Send them away so that they may go and buy themselves something to eat. Not a recommendation. Not counsel. Not Jesus, look, here's the situation. We think this is what we ought to do. No, all of a sudden, the disciples are instructing Jesus on how to shepherd the sheep. Probably what they're really after um, is just to get these interloping sheep out of the way so that they could get alone with Jesus. Maybe they're self-protection. Maybe, you know, who, who knows what exactly is going on. But they're trying to tell Jesus what to do, which is a bad idea. You don't want to do that. But notice the contrast. Jesus looks at these people as sheep without a shepherd. And he immediately begins to shepherd them. That's his impulse. He sees a need. He sees people without a shepherd. His default impulse is, I'm going to shepherd them. On the other hand, the disciples, their impulse is to get rid of the sheep. To refer them out to the nearest towns and villages. And what Jesus is about to teach them is that his sheep are not to be referred out but they are to be cared for by His under-shepherds. He's the great shepherd. He's got His band with Him. And He is going to be training these men how to care for the flock. Pretty soon, He will be in heaven and they will be on earth. And they need to learn what it means to shepherd His flock. Remember we talked last week about worthless shepherds how the leaders of Israel had that um, name on them because they constantly, repeatedly were failing in their duty to shepherd God's people. The disciples were the new leaders of the people of God. And they needed to be ready to shepherd. So verse 37, they make their, um, not even an appeal, they give their instructions to the Lord Jesus. And He responds to them by saying, you give them something to eat. Don't send them out to the villages and cities. You do it. You give them something 
to eat. And it's emphatic in Greek. You yourselves give them something to eat. That's the idea. Now, the crowd at this point is about 5,000 men, according to verse 44. If you add in women, children, you're looking at a crowd of roughly 10 to 15,000 people, maybe more. Some say 20. So you're dealing with a lot of people. And so from a, a merely human perspective, this is really an impossible command. It seems illogical, totally unreasonable. All of a sudden, the disciples are the ultimate pragmatists. You know, they're calculating, they're thinking clearly. They, they're not always like that, but in this moment, they're crisp and sharp and thinking pragmatically. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to be the unreasonable one. Which is why the disciples respond the way they do in verse 37. Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? They're incredulous. That's the tone. Let me, let me tell you why. Because a denarius was the typical day, or typical pay rather, for a day's labor in the ancient world. So 200 denarii would have been over half a year's wage. So we, should we go spend half of our yearly wage, over half, almost two-thirds of our yearly wage, to buy lunch for these people, these interlopers who are in our way? I'll put that in common parlance. If, if we say that a day laborer today makes about $60 per day, at just minimum wage, eight hours, then doing the math on that, 200 denarii today would be the equivalent of about $12,000. $12,000. Now, I, I don't want to spend $12,000 for lunch for my family and friends and all of you precious people. You don't want to spend it for me, I know that. Not to mention, I don't want to spend $12,000 for lunch on people who are in my way you know, when I'm trying to be with the Lord. Now, on top of that, even if you have the $12,000 to buy lunch for everybody, remember these men, the apostles, are unemployed. So they don't have that, most likely. They don't have $12,000 to spend on lunch for these wild sheep. And not only that, they've left their work, they're unemployed, and they're following a, a traveling rabbi around who's telling them, look, don't take any money with you wherever you go. The Lord's going to provide for you. These are men who, they don't have deep pockets. They don't even have that kind of money. So, of course, Jesus knows this. He knows when He tells them, you give them something to eat. He knows exactly what He's doing. In fact, in John's account of this scene, in John 6, we're told that immediately after Jesus looked at them and said, you give them something to eat, He pulled Philip aside and he asked him, he asked Philip, where, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And John adds that Jesus said this to test Philip because he himself knew what he would do. So he tells them to feed the sheep. He knows exactly what he's doing here. He's, he's really drawing these 12 men in because he wants to teach them a vital lesson about himself. They're about to witness that the man they're following around is far, far more than a man. 
He is far more than a man, and He is far more able and willing to provide for His people all that they need and in abundance. He is far more willing to give than they are to ask. That's what they're about to see. And that's the way that it's always been. God is far more willing to give than we are to receive. Psalm 80, the Lord says, Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And often we just want to sort of drink through a straw. Right? Open your mouth wide, says the Lord, and I will fill it. And these, these men, here they are, they're looking at themselves, they're looking at their own resources, and they're functioning really on a, a merely human level. No conception that the great shepherd is right in front of them. And they don't even think to ask Jesus for help. They immediately begin to rationalize and formulate plans independent of the Lord. And then they start to boss Jesus around. Now, am I stepping on your toes a little bit there? And don't we do a similar thing? We're in a moment of crisis. Rationalize. You know, we start to function. You know, we don't even think to ask the Lord to help us. We just start saying, Lord, this is what you need to do. Right? Well, here they are. This is what they're doing. They're functioning merely on a human level. And actually, you know, you would think... They're just coming off of this weeks-long, months-long ministry where Jesus said, look, give me all your money, give me all your, you know, your, that, you know, that um, packed lunch, let's set that aside, go out there with nothing except your clothes and a walking stick, and trust that the Lord is going to give you all you need. They're fresh off of that, and they've just experienced the Lord's provision for them. But now all of a sudden, they forget it. They've forgotten that the Father had provided all they needed before and that He would do it again if they would just ask. But suddenly the problem in front of them is bigger than the Lord on His throne. And so they start trying to do God's job for Him. Which always ends in you know, tragedy, discouragement, despair. We don't have the power, the equipment, the resources to do God's job for Him. And so Jesus is going to teach them that. Jesus is going to teach them, look, here I am. All you got to do is ask, and I'll take care of it. Don't panic. Stop worrying about your half salary. All right, I'm going to take care of this. Just trust me. And so verse 38, he begins to take an inventory of their current resources. He says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. Notice he's, he's, he's not just, it's like he's responding to their command to him. It's like he's upped it a notch. He says, you give them something to eat. Now you go look at what you have. Right now, he's, who's in charge here all of a sudden? Jesus is. He, he's directing the show. And all of a sudden, most likely, they realize, okay, we've crossed a boundary here. Right? We've, we're, we've, we've erred. And so the Lord says, go look. And, and one lesson right away from that that we can see is that what Jesus is trying to help them do here is to look at what they actually have. They're looking negatively. They're looking at what they don't have. We don't have enough food for these people. And Jesus said, okay, what do you have? They're looking at what they lack. Jesus is trying to let, help them to see what is right in front of them. And at this point, he starts with the most basic resources. All right, what, what do we have? Let's get an inventory of the food. And so they go around to 5,000 men or so. And they figure out that out of all those people, they have five loaves and 
two fish. Now, why is it so meager? And of all these people, they're out in a desolate wilderness. Are they that, all, all that unprepared? I mean, if we go somewhere, we've got, you know, a deep backpack full of snacks. We're ready to go. And out of all these people, there's only one boy, John 6 tells us, one young lad who's got something to eat. Now, why are they all unprepared? Well, remember why. They were on, probably in Capernaum, close to their homes. They were just at the, you know, the beach listening to Jesus teach. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus leaving, and they take off running to meet him to the other side. So none of them thought to get a lunch. They just wanted to be with Jesus. So here they are, and all they have is five loaves and two fish. The loaves of bread would have been nothing like what you think and I think, a loaf of bread. It would have been something like a tortilla, probably about an inch thick. So five tortillas, double-stacked tortillas maybe, for all of these people. And two fish, maybe dried or smoked, maybe pickled. Those were the options. But the point there is that it would have been something you could have carried on a journey with you, but the main point is that this is a very meager lunch for all of these people. Right? And they bring it back and say, Lord, this is, what, this is all we have. And it's true, that is all they have. All they have are five loaves and two fish. But they have more than that, don't they? Five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. That's what they have. But they're so blind in the moment, they don't see that. And Jesus is just little, you know, incrementally helping them to see. What do you have? Okay, here's what you have. Let's look at this. Let's talk about this. And I'm going to show you what you really have in just a minute. All right? They have five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. And they're about to see that if you have Jesus, no matter what your resources are, you always have an abundance. All right? If Jesus is with you and you have faith in Him, no matter how sparse things look, You have more than you need. And actually, when it looks the worst in life, when the situations look most impossible, that's when the Lord moves in ways that leave no question to His provision and shepherding care. Right? You know that in your own life. When things, when it's the 11th hour, things look the darkest, that's when you see the Lord's hand moving in a way that's evident that only He could do this, right? And so here we are. They are poised to learn this vital lesson. And so in verse 39 and 40, Jesus begins to act. And He gave orders for the crowds to sit down by groups or parties of hundreds and of fifties. This is like Jesus setting up a feast on the Galilean hillside. You've got a party of 50 here, party of 50 here, party of 100 in the back, party of 100 over here. Right? You've got this feast that's sort of being set up by the Lord, scattered all over the hillside. And this, of course, is a banquet that stands in stark contrast to the banquet that we saw for Herod. Herod's banquet was a banquet for himself to indulge himself at the expense of the sheep. But here, the great shepherd is setting up a banquet, getting ready to serve the sheep himself. You see that contrast there? It's really stark and really powerful. 
And so then, verse 39, he sets them in these groups on the green grass. Now, we all know Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, right? But what's amazing about Mark is all of a sudden, you know, while he's brief some places, he's extremely detailed in other places. Now, this is one of those details. He's the only Gospel writer who says, all, gospel, all the four Gospels include this miracle. Mark is the only one who says, and the grass was green. Why? Is that just like an inconsequential detail? Well, I think in one sense, it tells us that this was springtime in Galilee. So it's not just a banquet on a barren hillside. This would have been a beautiful spring setting. But I don't think that's only what Mark is doing. I think Mark is doing more than just setting the scene. Where else do we read in the Old Testament of a great shepherd leading his people to green pastures in order to feed them? We just read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And in the same psalm, the Lord even goes on to prepare a table for His people in the presence of their enemy. He, in the psalm, the Lord, the great shepherd, is the one who serves His people. It's really amazing. And so I think Mark throws the detail of green grass in here as a way of teaching us that what we're seeing here is the great shepherd of Psalm 23 in action. We're, we're seeing this fulfilled in real life. It's really amazing. He, he, of course, the Lord has always been the provider for His people, but in this moment, God, the great shepherd, has become man. And He has come down from heaven and is literally among the sheep providing for them just as He promised. So after the crowd sat down in their groups, verse 41 tells us that Jesus took this pitiful little lunch in His hands and He looked up to heaven and He blessed it. The disciples are not thinking of God. They're not asking the Lord to provide. They're not thinking of the Father at all. They're functioning merely as humans. Jesus does not live that way. Jesus said His very bread was to do the Father's will. He lived every moment of His life with a consciousness of God. And so here, He blesses the food. Now that's not to say that He did anything special to the bread. In fact, He wasn't really blessing the bread itself, which I know that's what it sounds like. The NASB says He blessed the food, but... That's not exactly the way it is. To bless means to speak well of and to praise. That's literally what the word bless means. Now, how many of you speak well of and praise your food? Now, some of you may. But that's not the normal way that we think about our food. We're not praising it. We're not giving thanks to it. Thank you for satisfying my belly today. We don't do that. We bless and we praise and we thank the Father who provides the food we receive. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's blessing God, thanking God the Father for providing these five loaves and the two fish. It's a small provision, but Jesus understands that when He takes the little to the Father, the Father can multiply 
that resource to meet the needs of those around him. And even in this, really, Jesus is training his under-shepherds. When times are tough, when things look bleak, when their portions are meager, they ought to go to the Father. They ought to go to Him to give thanks for the little they have and to ask Him for the help they need to provide. They don't need to spend their time complaining about what they lack, but they need to be grateful for what they have, and then they will see how God multiplies their little. That's a good lesson. Good lesson. Jesus is helping these men to see, look, stop thinking about what you don't have. What do you have? And ask the Lord to help you be faithful with that little. That's what you need to do. Now, of course, we're not told the content of Jesus' prayer here, but it was probably something like the common Jewish prayer of Thanksgiving before a meal. It went like this. Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world who makes bread to come from the earth and who provides all that you have created. At any rate, Jesus takes this little meal before the Father, and then He gives thanks. Now, you have to just imagine thousands, 5,000, 10,000, maybe 20,000 people. Here are the disciples. They brought the meal to Jesus. Jesus says, okay, let me see it. And all of a sudden, He starts giving thanks to the Father for this food. You can only imagine what the disciples might be thinking. What in the world is He about to do? What is He doing here? And there's no way that this meager portion will be enough for everyone. But verse 41 says that after Jesus finished his prayer, he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them thousands of people. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Notice that the text says he broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples. Again, that's the imperfect tense. We've talked about that. It refers to something in the past that keeps happening. It's ongoing. So this wasn't just a one-time giving of bread. Jesus would have broken the loaves and then he would have delivered it to them, to the disciples. They would have taken it to the people, come back, and Jesus just keeps giving it to them over and over and over and over again until finally 15,000 people get all they need from that those five loaves and the two fish verse 42 they all ate and were satisfied amazing all of them not a single sheep on the hillside was left out all ate and were satisfied. Interestingly, the word there is a word for satisfied is the word that derives its meaning from animal husbandry. We would call that farming ranching. It describes the animals being fed until they were um, being fed until they were full in order to fatten them up. So the idea here is that all of these sheep are sufficiently fattened up in that moment. They get all they need. On top of that, look at verse 43. Not only do they all get fattened up here, they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full. 
Now, again, Mark, what are you doing here? Why are you saying this? Why 12 baskets? Is that another sort of inconsequential detail? Why 12 baskets? Why not 9? Why not 10? Why not 7? Why not 15? Why not 100? Why 12? Well, I think it was so that each one of these apostles in training would be forced forced to hold one of these baskets in his own hands and look down and see that this was reality. This wasn't some sort of smoke and mirrors trick. You know, where Jesus was sort of, you know, he got his long coat on and he's just pulling things out from behind him. This was reality. Twelve baskets full. Each man gets his own basket full of bread. Now, I told you that my suspicion is that these men were just, of course, they were just wanting to be alone with Jesus. Does Jesus have enough for us and them? Well, here you go. He's got room to spare. He's got plenty for all. Each of you get to take your own basket full of bread home with you. And the lesson here, of course, is that the Lord Jesus provides in abundance for His people. When they ask, when they seek, when they knock, when they open their mouth wide, they get it in abundance. So often we have not because we ask not. Another lesson here is that if these men are going to be His representatives, Jesus' representatives on earth, then they need to start living in light of that reality. They need to understand that precious little resources coupled with Jesus always means abundance. They also need to understand, not only can Jesus take bread and multiply it, can take your meager portion and multiply it. Now, I don't want to push this too far, but how many of you, you think, I'm just not good enough, I'm not... I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. I'm not, I can't make disciples. I can't do counseling. I can't take the word and do X, Y, or Z. You've got, your portion is way too meager. Look, friend, we all think that. We all look at ourselves and we realize we're inadequate for the task. That's why we go to Jesus. And all of a sudden, we go to Jesus, we bring Him the little we have, and all of a sudden... We look around us and things are happening and everyone knows that is not those 12 disciples who are doing the work. No one is looking at the 12 disciples and saying, wow, you're wonderful. They're all looking to the man who's passing out the bread and they all recognize that's the man who's extraordinary here. These guys are just servants. They're just waiting tables here. The true king is right there and he's the one passing out the bread. But it's actually a little more than that. Some of you probably thought of the parallel here between, you know, if you've got the wilderness, desolate area. What's another wilderness, desolate area event where the Lord provides bread for His people? And so most of you have probably already saw the parallel between Moses and the wilderness and the distribution of manna and what Jesus is doing here on the hillside. And I think we're certainly meant to make that parallel because in John's account, in John 6, we're told that after this miracle, that the crowds came back to Jesus again to get more food. Now all of a sudden, they've, they've 
got a guy with them not, who, who, who not only can heal their diseases and um, cast out demons, but he can also provide lunch at no cost, $12,000. He can do it in a moment. So we want to go back to this guy. And so they come to Jesus and he says, you're only coming to me because you ate of the bread and were satisfied. You're losing sight of the most significant thing. You're just wanting to use me to get fed. And you can't use Jesus as an accessory on your life. You can't just use Jesus to get what you want. That's not the way it works. And so Jesus says to them, well, they rather, they say to Jesus, give us some bread. Jesus says, you're only wanting bread because you ate of the, man, of the bread and were full. And then the, the response to Jesus is this. John 6, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So it's kind of like, well, look, God gave his people manna in the wilderness. That's what he did for our fathers. Couldn't you give us a little more bread? And Jesus said to them, John 6, 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. We'll take that. Sounds wonderful. In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. They're thinking on the merely human level. They just want to be satisfied with worldly pleasure and worldly delights. They just want physical bread. Just like, as we're going to see at the end of chapter 6, the people were coming to Jesus just to get physical healing. We understand that Jesus did these things not simply to heal people, not simply to feed people, but to point to the greater reality that He, in fact, is the bread of life. He is the all satisfying Son of God. And every one of us, the lesson here for these people is the same lesson for us. We have got to go through the good things that the Lord provides for us to the source, to the giver of all good things. To stop short of that, to just enjoy your lunch today without going through that lunch to praise the Lord who provided it, that's to do exactly what these folks were doing. We have to learn that all the good things we enjoy in this world are gifts to us to be enjoyed to the full. But we are to go through those gifts to the giver of the gift. Always. And so Jesus is trying to help these people see the lost sheep, the, the neglected sheep, his own little flock of 12 sheep. He's trying to help them all understand that, look, this is way more than just provision of bread. You have in front of you not just five loaves and two fish. You have the incarnate Son of God 
who can do for you whatever you ask. Well, there's a lot more to be said, but let me just make some closing observations here kind of by way of review. Number one, this passage reminds us, teaches us, that limited resources coupled with Jesus will always be enough. We have food and clothing, says the Apostle Paul. With this, we will be content. Why? Because with the food, with the clothing, we have Jesus. Number two, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, has enough compassion and love to spare. And he has the ability to meet any need that is presented to him. I will remind you, it must be presented to him. He said, ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. What are your needs? What are they? Have you taken them to the great shepherd? Or are you just sort of rationalizing, trying to make sense of it on your own terms? Have you brought God to bear on your problem at all? Or are you trying to command Him, instruct Him on what He needs to be doing? There's compassion, infinite compassion there. And there's ability, boundless ability. But He says, come and ask. So I would encourage you, go and ask. Number three, Jesus was clearly more than a mere man. No mere mortal could do what Jesus did here. This was raw, creative power at work. Only God and God alone could do something like this because it was virtually calling into being something that did not exist. Certainly there was bread and fish there, but there were not enough fish. There was not enough bread to feed the multitude. It reminds us of John 1.3 where John says, All things came into being through Jesus, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's not just the great shepherd. He's the creator of it all. And when you take the great shepherd and you take the creator and you put them together, you have a wonderfully powerful, competent, willing, and ready Savior and leader and shepherd of his people. Number four, Jesus himself is an inexhaustible resource. There is no problem that exceeds the bounds of his capacity. He will provide and he can provide. And that is not because he is endowed with power and ability. Well, it's true. But it's because he himself is the great resource. In the days ahead, these 12 men were going to be tempted to pawn off the sheep to other shepherds who will give them all sorts of stuff. Not the spiritual sustenance that is Christ. And they needed to remember that Jesus was the true bread and is the true bread that satisfies. And they ought never to send the Lord's sheep away without giving them the spiritual food they need. 
So over and over again, it ought to be in, you know, in, stamped on their mind and would have been, and we see that in the New Testament, our Lord looking at them and saying, you give them something to eat. You do it. Don't send them out there. Give them the bread of heaven. Give them the true food. They came, the crowds came, and Jesus looked at them with compassion and he did what for them? What did his compassion drive them to do? Teach them. Give them the true bread. Right? Same thing as needs to be true of the under-shepherds. Here they come to you. You give them something to eat. They want bread, but give them what they need. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give to you. I don't have $12,000 to go buy you lunch. But here's what I do have. Let me tell you about the great shepherd and what he did for you. Not only was he the great shepherd, not only is he the great shepherd, but he himself was a lamb. He was the lamb of God who was sacrificed to take away the sin of his sheep. Now there is no shepherd who has ever done such a thing. Jesus, the great shepherd, stands alone, categorically, on his own. All we do as under-shepherds is we try. We do the best we can to reflect him. But boy, are we a meager reflection of the Lord Jesus. He is the great shepherd. So no matter how No matter how pitiful your shepherds are, don't forget, they are just a small reflection of the great shepherd. He's the target. He's the one that you should be looking at, regardless of who your shepherd is, regardless of if your mom and dad, who are your shepherds in the home, maybe they're angry, maybe they're hypocritical, maybe they're not what they ought to be. Friend, I'll tell you, they are just shepherds. They're supposed to look like Jesus, but we fail all the time. You should look at them and say, they're trying their best, but boy, are they not like Jesus. Praise God, He sent Jesus for me. Right? And you can follow Jesus, no matter how young you are. You can love and follow Jesus, the great shepherd. Don't use your mom and dad as an excuse not to follow the Lord Jesus. This is a tender spot for me, not on the parenting end, but as a shepherd of this church. We we know that the demands are high. The needs are great. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We get that. And so the fear we have is that somehow we might convey something less than the true shepherd. So, not that you need me to remind you of this, you know that. You get this. You, you, you're not foolish to think that we somehow are perfect. We're not. You know that. Just spend some time with us and you'll learn that we need Jesus just as much as you. Maybe more. But we just do the best we can, all of us, right? To reflect the shepherding care of the great shepherd. We lay our lives down again and again, again and again for the good of the sheep that God's entrusted into our care. Children, family, 
churches, ministries. We just do the best we can. But that, what that means is that we ought always to be giving people Jesus, not ourselves. We ought always to be saying, look, you want food to eat? Jesus is the one you need to talk to. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. and Thank you for Christ. Thank you that in him we have a perfect shepherd. Lord, our own failures are so palpable often. We feel them. They pain us. They cause us so much turmoil often. But Father, we praise you that our right standing before you has nothing to do with our works. But it's all based on the work of Christ. We thank you that while we fail, the great shepherd never does. While we may lack in supplying needs for those around us, the great shepherd never lacks. While we may lack compassion, the Lord Jesus never does. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us all more like him. And that this would be a place full of under-shepherds that are striving to be like Christ in feeding your precious flock. And Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.